0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is One of Us by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that Jesus is. You came to give to us, Jesus, not to take from us. Jesus, you did not come to condemn us. You did not come to lay any extra burden on us. You came to set us free. And we thank you for that wonderful gift. Jesus, you are the King. I pray that as we come around your word that our eyes and hearts will be opened in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, uh, we'll briefly uh, walk our way through some wonderful verses in John chapter 1. Uh, In November of 1995, uh, for those that were born in 1995, which is probably most of us in the room, but in 1995 in November, uh, there was a song that came across the airwaves. It was a secular song by a secular artist, but asking a very profound question. Uh, In 1995, Joan Osborne released her song, What If God Was One Of Us. What a question. What if God was one of us. And I've just proven that I'm hip, cool and trendy just because I know that song. So thank you everybody. Merry Christmas to you too. But what a question. Uh, but Joan Osborne also goes on and asks some interesting questions in that song. If you, if you listen to the song, if you, if you take the time to read the lyrics, she asks questions like, what if God was one of What if he was just another stranger on the bus? What if seeing, would you want to see, she asks, if seeing means you would have to believe? What a great question. I was talking to a gentleman in recent times who does not believe in God, which is interesting because he blames everything bad that happens on God but doesn't believe in God. And he says, you know what, if God came down and did a little show for me, maybe I would believe in him. Well, I've got some good news this morning, 2,000 years ago. That's exactly what he did. This morning, as we come to the Christmas time, we remember the time when exactly what Joan Osborne asked happened. There was a moment in history when God was one of us. And as we come to John's Gospel, I love how he starts his Gospel. The first 14 verses are profound and they set up the rest of the Gospel. But what is interesting about the Apostle John is that when he writes, he's not so much concerned about how Jesus was born, he is more concerned with the consequences of Jesus being born. What are the consequences of that? Uh, We sing about what if God was one of us. Secular artists sing about what if God was one of us. But when we unpack what that means, you can't leave the same. There was a moment in time when God was one of us. Here's what the Apostle John says, and we'll unpack it a little bit more this morning. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What on earth does John mean by that? The Apostle John's one of my most favorite apostles, uh, lives until his late 90s ministering at Ephesus. But he writes his gospel later than the others. When John writes his gospel, Mark's gospel is in circulation, Luke is in circulation and Matthew is in circulation and they all write to different audiences. Matthew writes to a Jewish audience and we know this because the language is filled with kingdom language and the gospel is filled with Old Testament quotes. Mark writes from the lips of Peter but he writes to a Gentile Roman audience which is why the gospel is filled with the acts and the deeds and the power of Christ and and Luke writes for a man by the name of Theophilus and we we don't know who he was. But the physician, Luke, is also a historian and he says, you know what, I have set about to create an orderly account. We have Matthew's account, yes, we have Mark's account, but the timelines are all over the place. So Luke says, I'm going to write an orderly historical account. By the time John writes his gospel, there has been some conjecture. By the time John writes his gospel, people are starting to invent fanciful notions about Jesus and who he is. And so John doesn't write to tell us what Jesus has done. He does not write to tell us what Jesus taught. John writes to expose who Jesus is. And he uses some interesting language. What did John mean by the word? Was it all of a sudden a book jumped off the shelf and started to... That's not what happened. But the word that John uses there, the word became flesh. The word in the Greek is logos. And that is a word that has a tremendous amount of freight. Because by the time John writes his gospel, he's writing to a wider audience. He writes to Jews, yes, and so he has a message for the Jews this morning. But, but he writes to Greeks and he writes to the Stoics and the philosophers. Uh, if you wanted to understand a Greek in uh, the time of John the, the Apostle, most of them stood around in bedsheets talking about everything but answering no questions. That's what we call philosophy today, uh, Lee Strobel once asked the question, what's the difference between a large pizza and a philosophy degree? A large pizza can feed a family of four. (laughs) (laughs) But pause for a moment and think about the audience. Pause for a moment and think about the Greeks. You see, the Greeks aren't so far detached from us. The the philosophers in the first century aren't too far detached from us. They were able to observe, you know what, there's a whole lot of regularity in this universe. They were able to observe that every day the sun rises and the sun sets with the same regularity. They were able to observe that there seems to be laws that are governing everything. There seems to be this intrinsic design. And so the law that John writes about, the word or the Logos, when he's writing to the Greeks, he wants them to know everything you're searching for, I found it. They were looking for all the answers in the universe. They couldn't understand why the seasons were so regular. Uh, they, their concept of how everybody came into being was that, that in a moment of random chance, everything just kind of came together. But in all that randomness, our universe found regularity. They would look at the human body. And a lot of our language that we get from medical terms, for anybody in the room that's medical, a lot of our language comes from the original Greek because these guys studied the body and they, they were fascinated by how it was put together. We know a lot more today, but are we too far detached today? We have people today that are looking through telescopes almost to the edge of the observable universe. And everywhere they look they see design, they see everything's put together with a purpose and, and they're trying to discover the meaning in all of that and, and what John wants the Greeks to know and what John wants everybody in the Australian culture today to know is what you observe is not an it, it is a he. It's not a set of mathematical formulas, it's, it's not a set of thermodynamic physical laws, it's in the beginning, he says was the Word. What John wants the Greeks to know, what John wants everybody in this room to know, is what you observe, the logos, the ultimate explanation is what that word means. The Greeks were trying to determine what is the ultimate explanation for everything that we can observe. John says, his name is Jesus. John wants his readers to know every word you read from now on, every miracle I tell you about, everything that Jesus teaches, I want you to know before we go any further. I'm not talking about another man. I'm not talking about a set of principles. I'm talking about the moment when divinity was poured into humanity. It was the moment when the word became flesh. Today we live in a culture which is not too far detached from the Roman Greeks We live in a culture today that is searching for answers in all the wrong places. We live in a culture today that is devoid of good news and peace and we have all of those things, we've found them. And so we celebrate at Christmas the moment when the ultimate explanation became a baby. But to the Jews, to the Jews that thought they had it or there are still people in Israel today that are waiting for the Messiah He is coming, but it'll look a little bit different than what you might expect. But they're they're still waiting for the Messiah. But there are what what John would write to the Jews is that there was a moment in time, everything you see in the Torah, everything you see in the Old Testament, all of the promises that you are waiting to be fulfilled, all of the prophecies that you pour over every single Sabbath, all of those things that you see in here, I found him. His name is Jesus. John will go on to say, when you see him, you can't be the same. John says to the Jews <coughs> every time you sacrifice at the temple, you are like a shadow and a type. You are representing what Jesus is to us. Every sacrifice, every act of worship. And what we find in the first 14 verses of this wonderful gospel is it is jam-packed with both the language and the themes of the Old Testament. John wanted the Jews to know something. He wanted them to know, you know, what all of the themes about lightness and dark. Have a listen to the opening verses of John's gospel. There are a million ways he could have started his gospel, but you couldn't have done it any better than this. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the ultimate explanation for everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's what John wants them to know. We're not talking about another man. Merely. We're not just talking about another prophet. Uh, We're not talking about a healer. We're talking about God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Wow. All things were made through him. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made That was made. Nobody has been able to disprove the Bible. Every single person that looks down a telescope at the observable universe, they see something that is just magnificent and tremendous and in no way could have been an accident. What John wants these guys to know is, talk about indescribable before any of that. Today, the smartest minds on the planet can do mathematical equations that I don't even... They can fill an alphabet, pages and pages of mathematics, but here's one question they can't answer. Before the Big Bang, what? Wrong question. Before the Big Bang, who? That's the question. John says, I found him. Everything was made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Wow. And that word life is not the bios. It's not the biological life as we understand it. It's the Zoe life. It's it's the life that God intended you to have. In him was life. He came to give to us. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. All the themes... Have a listen to Genesis, go and read Genesis 1, then read John 1, the language is very similar. In Genesis chapter 1, we can fight over the language and we can fight over periods of time, but here's what the writer of Genesis wanted everybody to know, God created everything. Here's what John wants everybody to know, Jesus is the ultimate explanation. The true light which enlightens everyone, verse 9, was coming into the world and he has come into the world. So when John says the word, what he means is the ultimate explanation. To all of the Greeks, to all of the scientists, to all of the philosophers, to all of the people today that are uh, the mathematicians. I I love John Lennox. John Lennox is a professor of mathematics at Oxford University. And he says, mathematics led me to Christ because it works. It works. Because mathematics works, God has to have been behind all of that. And so... There is a purpose to mathematics for all the students in the room this morning. You believe, believe it or not, there is a purpose for algebra. We just haven't found it. And the word became flesh. Here's what John wants his readers to know. This word, this logos, this one that is God, was with God in the beginning, he became flesh. Not he turned into a man. No, that's not what he means. Not he put on the appearance of a man merely. No, no, no. What John wants us to know in that phraseology there is there was a moment when God poured himself into humanity. He was both God, fully God, and fully man, both at the same time. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that word dwelt is powerful and it is wonderful. In the Greek, we read dwelt, but in the Greek, it has to be tented or tabernacled with us. See, John says, the word God became flesh and he tented or tabernacled with us. And all of the Jews immediately would have known exactly what John was talking about, because their mind would have gone back to their wanderings in the wilderness when the full presence of God dwelt with his people inside of a tabernacle or a portable tent at that time. That tent would later on become, uh, by exact imprint, would become the temple, but it was the means by which God would dwell with his people. Here's what John wants everybody in this room to know this morning. The ultimate explanation, the son of the almighty God decided that he wanted to, in a very intimate and personal way, dwell with each and every one of you. You see, what they understand of the tabernacle is we understand there is a process by which we approach God. We, we, we now come through the outer courts and, and we approach and everything is functioning around that presence which burns in the back room, in the holy of holies. But they now know, and here's what John is saying, we now approach and enjoy a relationship with God through the tabernacle of Christ. There is no other way. I make no apologies for that this morning. There was a moment in history when God wanted to dwell with you in an intimate and personal way, and there is only one way for each and every person to enjoy that, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful gift. The Word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. The word became flesh and do it among us. And here's what John says, We, we have seen his glory. If you read the rest of John's gospel, I encourage everybody to read John's gospel every year. Go through John's gospel. But if you read the rest, he will expose what he means by we have seen his glory and it changed them. Ordinary men were radically transformed from what they saw. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I, I love verse 16 and I love what it means for us because John has a message for us. Uh, anybody here, uh, most of us have been to the beach. If you live in Queensland and you have not been to the beach, shame on you. Go to the beach this afternoon. But when you go to the beach and you're standing at the coast... Anybody ever notice that the waves never stop hitting the shoreline? It's just, Sometimes they're bigger, yes, sometimes they're smaller, but the waves just keep hitting the shoreline. If you read this phrase in the Greek that I'm going to read now, that's exactly what it means. He says, verse 16, and from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. That's what it's like. It just keeps on going on, just like the waves that hit the shore. God's unmerited favour. There was a moment in time when God chose to treat everybody unfairly. It's called grace. It's called favour. It's when God lavishes his favour and his love and his mercy on you, and you don't deserve it, because if God treated us how we deserved it, things would look different. I love this. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And today, available to everybody because of the gift that came to us over 2,000 years ago, you can walk into the ocean of God's grace and just feel the waves, wave after wave. I know that I am thankful that those waves never stop. Every day I need the waves of his grace to billow over me. Thank you, Jesus, for that wonderful wonderful gift this morning. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What is God like? Look at Jesus. You might ask the question, what if God was one of us? Would, would he associate with us? Uh, would God want anything to do with us? Let's have a look at Jesus. Jesus ate with tax collectors. He ate with prostitutes. He ate with sinners. The answer is, when you look at Christ, what is unveiled before us? If you want to know this morning how much God loves you, have a look at the arms spread wide upon the cross. And we ask ourselves the question this morning as we come to a close, okay, wonderful, there was a moment in time when the only son of the almighty God was one of us, but what does that mean? Why did he come and what does that mean for us? What are the consequences of that? We flip over the page. We all know John chapter three, verse sixteen. But why did Jesus come? Jesus came because for God so loved the world. Or that could read uh, in this way. God loved the world. That word so there is not a measurement of degree. You can't measure God's love, right? So there's no measurement of degree. It is the manner in which. Here's what John wants us to know. The manner in which God displayed his love for each of us is that he gave us his son. He gave us everything that he had. He gave us all that he had. Jesus is everything God has For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's why we give presents at Christmas time. It's a representation of a season where we remember that God gave us something. God didn't come to take away from us. God came to remove our shame, yes. God came to remove our sin, yes. God came to give us life. He came to give us a relationship and reconciliation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and now what do we do with this gift? What, do, what, is, what is our responsibility to do with this gift? Uh, he says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and here's what Jesus asks of everybody. Here's what the king demands of every single one of us that you would believe in him. And what John means by that word, believe, is not just an agreeance with a certain set of facts. You see, the Greeks were good at that. The Greeks could reduce evidence down. They could, uh, they could agree with a set of nominal facts. But what John wants everybody to know is the word believe is a verb. And what it means is every morning you open your eyes, you surrender your life and your heart to the king. You see, that baby that was born is also the king of the universe. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, would you believe, but Soren Kierkegaard writes a wonderful poem which is called The Kingsman Redeemer. In that poem, it speaks about a king who falls in love with a peasant lady. And as king, he could demand that she become his wife. As king, he could demand that she come and be his queen. He's the king, he's got the power, he's got the authority, but he knows that although she will live in the same house, uh, if he demands her love, then it will just be false and it will be shallow. So he decides, in a wonderful and tremendous act, he decides to take off his crown and decides to take off his robes. And he decides, I'm going to become a peasant and win her heart. 2,000 years ago, the king took off his crown, took off his robes and came to win our I have one question for everybody in this room Jew, Greek, New Zealander, <laughs> South African, Tasmanian. What is your response to the King? Will you unwrap the greatest gift in the universe? This Christmas, can I pray? Father, we thank you in this season that you gave us the greatest gift in the universe. I pray that every heart would see and know the glory of the only son that was given for us. Jesus, we remember that Christmas is about the moment when the king stepped into our world. You are still the king. And I pray that every heart would surrender to the King. May your blessing be upon this season. It's so easy to get to New Year's and Christmas is gone and we're focused on the next year, but I pray in this moment, in these hours and in these days to come, that Jesus, you will grip the hearts of each and every one. In your wonderful name we pray.